Hello and welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. And in this podcast, we interview speakers from the most recent OME conference as a preview of their upcoming webinars. This episode is our penultimate podcast in our regular season and is coming from Kirsten Dick, who's a math coach and teacher from Saskatchewan. And she'll be talking about her upcoming webinar, Nurturing Joy in Mathematics Classrooms. So let's get right to it and hear from Kirsten. All right, hello and welcome. And we're talking with Kirsten Dick tonight. Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm good. And you're talking to us all the way from Saskatchewan. Yes. Way <laughs> over nice there. Here. Kirsten, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your connection to mathematics is. Sure. I am privileged to work in Prairie Spirit School Division. And here in Saskatchewan, we call them divisions instead of boards. So that represents, I think we've got 47 schools in our division. And we are a semi-rural division around Saskatoon and kind of like a donut area. So it's a couple hundred kilometers from one end of the school division to the other. And I teach in a rural grade 7 to 12 high school. I mostly have middle years math and sometimes the workplace apprenticeship program math, depending on the timetabling. And that's my afternoon job. But in the mornings, I am very fortunate to be one of two math coaches in the division. And so I tell people all the time I have the absolute best job because I get to work with other teachers. I get to talk about math all day. I get to be in lots of different classrooms of lots of different grades. And I get to have my own class, too. So I really feel like I have the best of both worlds. So I really think I agree with that that description because, you know, when I used to be a consultant, what I missed the most about being uh, when I was a consultant was having my own class. But I also, you know, when I did have my own class, I would have loved to have had that extra time to to uh, sort of research and, and try out things and 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 look into topics and and you seem to have the best of both worlds there. I kind of said, used to say, like when I was a, a consultant, that I, I kind of got soft as a teacher <laughs> because I wasn't doing it every day. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a kind of a nice model. Yeah, and it can mean a lot of travel sometimes because, like I said, we're a little bit spread out. But with technology and with more people having the option to use technology that COVID forced us to be able to do that, I can have some of those initial side-by-side meetings with teachers over Zoom or Teams or something before I go into their classroom or before we sit and have more in-depth, vulnerable conversations together. But I really do like that, you know, if there's something new that is going to work in a grade one, two classroom, we can find a group of students and try it out and see how it goes. Because I can't always do all of those things with my grade eights, for example. But then I also have the chance to try things with my grade eights that I can say to teacher, okay, this bombed in my room, here's how we're going to fix it. <laughs> or here, here's some things we might try to see if it goes better. So I have, yeah, I really do think that I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to both parts of the role. And as this is the OME Talks podcast, I always ask our guests, you know, how they first got involved or heard of OME, and especially uh, from your perspective, not even being an Ontarian. Uh, I'm curious about how that how that came about. Yeah, so I've been aware of our Saskatchewan Math Teacher Society for a number of years, and I'm currently on the executive now. But a few years ago, I was very, very fortunate because it doesn't happen very often in education that you get to go places. And I was part of a cohort of teachers from Saskatchewan who traveled to Ottawa 
to observe some thinking classrooms with Jimmy Pye and Alex Overwick. And we got to spend a couple of days in Ottawa. And both of those teachers said, oh, you've got to come back in the spring when we have our provincial conference. And it just worked out that I was able to gather a little bit of funding and some air miles and made the trip to Ottawa for the conference in 2019. And I think that's the year that was 2019. COVID has messed with (laughs) the time a little bit. And it was a phenomenal conference. And I was so lucky to get to be there. And I've just kind of stayed in touch with what's been happening a little bit because there's so many wonderful resources that come out of your province. Stay in touch with some teachers through social media, you know, follow your blog, that sort of thing. And then I was lucky enough to be accepted as a presenter for the virtual conferences the last couple of years as well. So that's how I've kind of just stayed in touch. And I I really do hope that some of these math executives of teachers across the country continue to be able to work together because there's so much good stuff happening across the country here. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think one of the things that uh, makes that collaboration a little bit easier is is um, being online and using social media. And it's so, so rewarding when you can start to uh, meet those people in real time, in real places. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we, we were able to, to connect with each other over, uh, actually, we, we, I think, first physically met in, in Los Angeles this week. That was the first time, this uh, a month ago, I think. Yeah, like I think I had maybe seen you in Ottawa, but for sure would have been too shy to say anything because I 100% have attended your session about like how to be on Twitter (laughs) when I had first joined. (laughs) So I was very much a lurker there for a long time. And I felt like that with a lot of people in Los Angeles, like, oh, I'm so excited to meet you in real life, even though I feel like we've had wonderful connections online and um, it's a good space for math educators. There's so much professional learning I've done over the last couple of years, thanks to Twitter. So as we're having this conversation now, who knows what that will entail in the next little while, but I know that math teachers will find each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this past virtual conference, as you said, you're one of our speakers, you did a session called Nurturing Joy in Mathematics Classrooms. And now you're going to redo that session for us for our OME Talks series. Uh, I'm wondering if you give us a, you know, a brief intro as to what you will be talking about. Sure. So this session is kind of some of the things that I've been playing around with in my own classroom, trying to pull in as a teacher, all of those wonderful ideas that are out there, you know, thinking classroom and rich tasks and open middle and three act and some of Marion Small's work and all of those things. And how do I pull that all together? but also make sure that my students are learning and maybe we're having fun doing it in this idea that we are honoring and affirming all of the students' mathematical and cultural identities of those beautiful humans that we get to teach every day. And so I I know that this idea of joy and fun and math is not new, but I'm hoping that the session will kind of just take a little bit of, of a framework from Ron Richard, where he has a whole book and lots of posts about the eight cultural forces in a, in a classroom and some of those things that whether we are intentional about them or not, they will happen. And how do we think about those from the lens of a math teacher so that when we do choose tasks, where are the intentional pieces and how does that fit together? So that's kind of the Coles Notes version. So so how how do you how do you 
come upon this this sort of thinking where you're you're ner- I mean, is this the the way you were have always been teaching, or, or has it been a, a sort of an incremental process? I think in some ways it's a bit of both. I was teaching lots of math and science early in my career. And I've been teaching for over 20 years in the same, in the same building. So I've, um, I'm now at the point where I'm teaching students of people that I used to teach or children of previous students. So I've been there for a long time. And I was thinking about that the other day that even in my second year, I was trying to come up with different kind of games we could use to review some of our fraction concepts. So I've always tried to infuse fun in my mathematics classrooms. I moved away from math for a few years. And when I came back about six or seven years ago, back into math teaching, I was trying to think about like, what's new and where are people at and, and what should I be doing, right, as, as a teacher. And so this is where I have happened upon all of these things and stumbled onto different blog posts. And I've really tried to kind of think about how do I pull all this together with, in, with intention. And so many aspects of the thinking classroom framework, but how does that also fit with all of those other pieces, knowing that this idea of the anxiousness that students have about math, some of the anxiety or that parents have about math. And when kids come to me as middle year students, and I mean, we don't stream or anything, right? So we've got everybody in the room, whether they feel like they are a math person, whether they feel like they have the skills in math that I need to create this environment where everybody feels like they belong. And so if we can do that and have fun and get to the math learning, that is like, that's the the dream classroom, right? So I think that's kind of one of those things that I've been thinking more intentionally about the last few years is like, oh, it's great to do a, a really rich task, but then what? So, you know, oh, we'll play this game, but then what? So what's the reason? What's the intentionality? Why are we doing some of the things that we do so that it can also lead to the mathematical understanding and learning, but also we can have fun when we're doing it, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. So can you give us an example of, of uh, a pathway that you would lead where you're you're starting with, let's say, some, quote, fun, uh, and then leading into actual, you know, uh, learning that is is hitting the curriculum? Hey, well, I'm just, I'm thinking about what we'll be doing tomorrow in my math class is there's a task from Enrich Maths, and that's the maths with the S because it's the British website. And they've got some great tasks on there. And I took one called the Six Numbered Cubes, uh, which involves all positive integers. And I just a couple of years ago had done that task at a workshop. And I was like, oh, this is really fun, but I'm teaching integers. What are what happens if I make some of the cubes have negative numbers on them? Can we do something fun with that? So uh that's the task that we're doing tomorrow. And so even though it's not, there's there's not a video that goes with it, it is absolutely a task that is engaging because the kids are playing with blocks and they're building different shapes and trying to achieve certain totals by the numbers that are showing on the, on the cubes. And so when I think about engagement and fun, when I know that kids are talking about the math, they are, they're literally can't keep their hands off the blocks because they're all trying to build and talk and collaborate together. I feel like that's the kind of thing that I aim for. And not every class is always going to be like some big wow lesson. But when I think about something like that, it's how are we taking that task where the kids are engaged and collaborating and talking about the mathematics? And then when we consolidate, what are we pulling out? What's the learning? And so for tomorrow, we're just kind of reviewing what happens when we combine positive and negative numbers before we get into the multiplying and dividing of them. Um, but it's a really fun way to review in different than just me giving them, you know, a bunch of worksheets. And so when you're looking at 
this from the perspective that you mentioned, I think what what, uh, is one of the most important parts for me is is that the students are doing a lot of the talking. And I've always sort of I know I've heard it say it said in a number of different ways, but it seems like all you know the the ones that are doing the talking are they going to be the ones doing the learning? Yes, and doing the thinking. Yep, and doing the thinking. That's right. And so now you mentioned uh, you know a number of of different uh, resources and and you know open middle and and rich and things like that. I think one of the things that this session sounds like a a good place, a good landing spot is that you're, you're sort of taking a lot of those and you are showing how, you know, you can pick and choose from those to, to fit into your, your individual classrooms. Can you give us another sense of, of how you're doing that? Yeah. Well, the workshop itself, we, and I think we'll have time for both, uh, at least two tasks and maybe even a quick game. We'll kind of see with some of the little theory pieces in between. But, you know, just and the tasks will be a little bit different from each other, but also similar to each other, where the participants hopefully are willing coming to engage. And so we'll take part and have conversations. And it's been a while since I've done things virtually. So we'll figure out whether we're going to jam board or just put it in the chat or what we're going to do. But to, to talk about the task, because we can experience it first, and then put our teacher hats back on and say, okay, where does this connect to my curriculum? How might I use this in class? And is this a good fit for my own context? Because that is always one of the biggest questions that a task that works really well for one teacher may or may not work for you and and your students, right? So the two tasks we'll do, one will be geared more to kind of that grade three to six range, and the other task has opportunities built within a differentiation all the way up to for sure like a grade nine workplace uh, applied math 10 kind of level so that depending on which age range or grade range teachers have that hopefully there is something there in the two tasks that we'll do at the workshop that will apply to their context. But it's it's that idea of let's experience it and then let's put our teacher hat on and then think about how could I use this? How could I differentiate it? What do I need to shift or change? And we don't always have time to do that at 10 o'clock the night before when we're trying to prep for a class. So just giving teachers some hints of like, what are some things you might look for when you're choosing a good task? Thinking about, again, those cultural forces of the classroom and how do we want to be intentional when we provide those learning opportunities for our students. So you you kind of actually hinted at um, sometimes an interesting phenomena when you're presenting a workshop is that sometimes even teachers want to just sit and get yes <laughs> and very much I think the what you're talking about is is not that at all no. <laughs> is is total participation uh, from from everyone involved and so like how how do you I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about teachers that are in, in a workshop but I mean how do you help students who have traditionally been in classes that were sit and get to to move into a space where they're comfortable to participate and talk about what's going on in the math class. Yeah, I think that really comes down to kind of what we'll talk about at the beginning of the workshop is how are we building that mathematical community and how are we building that safe space and what are we doing to nurture that and cultivate that as teachers in our classroom. And again, and I know I've said this word before, but it comes back to that intentionality piece, right? And and one of the conversations we had as a staff, because during COVID, we had different cohorts where students were only allowed in certain hallways and certain bathrooms, and we had different dismissal times. And so we just kind of didn't have any bells the last couple of years, you know, when to start the day and when to end the day. And, and 
kids just kind of took breaks at, at different times so that they wouldn't all be in the hallway together. And and so this year when the school year started, we didn't really talk about that as a staff. We just kind of like started and then kids would get up, out of, especially from the senior end, we kind of get up and leave like, well, I think we're on lunch now. And and so as a staff, we came back about two weeks into the school year and said, okay, what do we want to we really like having the freedom and the autonomy for a lot of things, but we also want to have a little bit of structure. And because we hadn't been intentional about setting those norms or speaking about them to the students, they had kind of just set their own. And I think that's what happens in our classrooms lots too, that if we don't really set the norms, the kids kind of set them for themselves. And when we think about what students traditionally have in a math classroom, we are very good at quiet, independent work and very good at sit and get. And they're very good at the passive learning or mimicking or whatever term you want to use. So in those first few weeks of school, I think that that's where it can be important for us as teachers to think about how do I want to create this safe, nurturing, welcoming space for my students? And if it happens in December or it happens in September or whenever it happens when teachers think about it, because sometimes it takes a crisis before we realize like, oh, wait, I should have talked about this. Um, So if we can have some of those thoughts before we enter the classroom so that when we do come in in September or whenever it is that we are going to think about this, that we can plan for some of those activities and we can plan for those conversations. We can use that really that language of like, this is how we do math in this classroom. And yes, we're going to play games and yes, we're going to have fun. But yes, we're going to talk to each other about the math and all those kinds of collaborative pieces that we want to see happen. So in the end, when you're looking at your students for the first time, I guess that sounds kind of funny in the end, when you're looking at your students for the first time, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you're, you're bringing your students in for the first time, I, it, it sounds like, you know, more than anything, the sort of the curriculum takes a little bit of a back seat so you can build that community. Yes. And I think one of the things I feel really grateful for as a junior high math teacher is that some of those things that I am asked to assess students on mathematical problem solving and communication and reasoning, all of those things don't always show up in a worksheet, but they absolutely show up in conversation. And they absolutely show up if I sit side by side with the student and ask them how they're thinking about this, or why did you do this, or tell me more about how you reached the solution. And so I think when we start our math classrooms or wherever teachers are in their own professional pedagogical practices, if, if this is something that they are moving towards, that, that yeah, we're just intentional about it and we talk about it and we, this is, this is how we do math together. So I'm hoping that the workshop kind of bridges those two pieces, right? Like, how are we going to be intentional in creating that community? And then once we've got that community established, or how do we choose tasks that help create that community? Because like I said, even if we've got things where students are kind of forced to work together, I know there's that activity that a lot of teachers use where they get students into random groups and ask them to create a Venn diagram together. And it might be movies or books or sports they like or favorite food, but they create a Venn and just to help build community. And that doesn't always need to take a very long time before you can jump into the math. And in my classroom, we start with math things right away, um, but we do it from through the lens of we are here together in a learning space as a community. Okay, so it sounds like you have your work cut out for you when we do our <laughs> workshop in a couple of weeks. But I look forward to finding the joy in mathematics. Uh, And I want to thank you for talking to us to give us a brief idea of what you're going to be talking about when you do your workshop. 
Well, thank you, David. I feel very privileged to be offering this session again, and I'm I'm looking forward to working with some other fabulous Ontario math educators because everyone that I've had encounters with has been absolutely wonderful to work with. So I'm very much looking forward to it. That was Kirsten Vick talking about how to nurture joy in mathematics classrooms. OME members can sign up for this free December 14th webinar by logging into our MCIS registration site or getting more info at talks.oeme.on.ca. Next month, we'll have our last regular episode where we will talk with Michael Jacobs about itching to code in grade 9. So stay tuned for that, and in the meantime, stay safe.